today by Sam and Ben. We are so happy to be back talking football ahead of this coming season. I'm very excited today to unpack a mailbag episode, touch a little bit on recruiting, and really focus in on the 2019 season as it is just on the horizon. Um, Before we get into that, boys, how's the summer been? Well, I've been rudely reminded today what waking up for 9 a.m. games noon games on the East Coast feels like. I'm recording this at 8 in the morning. Well, that's where we aim to start. And I rolled out of bed at 7.50. It's 9.30 right um, now. Yeah, you know, just, just to be clear. Technical issues. It's been a couple of months since we've done this. And I'm just pleading for limit the noon games this year. It's, it's tough on us out here on the West Coast. I did not have any trouble getting up this early because I'm an adult. Uh, but yeah, glad to be back. Summer's been good. Um, it's been horrendous weather-wise in San Francisco, as always. It's uh, incredibly foggy today at the end of July, and that's about par for the course for the summer. Well, the while the summer itself um, may still be kind of in, in mid-swing, um, we're approaching football season, guys. So not sure about you. Um, really been excited for this one. I think I, I'm trying to think back. I think there were so many kind of open questions coming off the 2016 title run. That, um, in, you know, obviously we had a lot of departures from the offense um, in that year. So it was like we were defending the championship um, the next season. But with this one, I actually feel like so many pieces come back. It actually will feel like a title defense. So I'm simultaneously trying to enjoy, you know, what it's been like, again, being defending champs. But um, also looking ahead to that title defense. So Excited about this year. Yeah, it's different when you have your start quarterback coming back as opposed to a stud defense or something like that, right? So you've got the quarterback and Trevor Lawrence coming back this year, just the second season. You see what he does as a freshman. He picks apart uh, Notre Dame and Alabama in the college football playoffs. You got two more years of him. Um, you got Travis Etienne coming back, legitimate Heisman contender as well. Uh, you got a very expen- experienced offensive line. You got talented receivers across the board. It's hard to see anybody stopping this offense. Um, so it is, yeah, it does feel like we're defending our title just on, just on that alone. Yeah, I think the the offensive firepower coming back leads to higher expectations than a strong defense coming back. Twenty seventeen, we had you know a solid offense, but it wasn't filled with Trevor Lawrence, Tra- Travis Etienne type players. Um, you know, Kelly Bryant was at the helm and the defense was going to be incredible and turned out to be incredible, but it, it just doesn't carry the same weight when you're thinking about cha- championship 
status and whether or not we're going to make it that far. And for a lot of us, it was our really our first time experiencing what it was like to win a national championship. There was a good good amount of we we're just so happy to get over that hump, you know, not really knowing what to no, expect. We were pleasantly surprised to be back in the college football playoffs the next year. I mean, they, yeah. that season was a success, really. Yeah, and I, I, I predicted it. Cody didn't, but you know, well, he doesn't get much right. Right. Anyway, uh, really eager, obviously, to to talk about this coming season. Um, it's not just us. We got a lot of help from um, folks across the country submitting mailbag questions this week. So we do appreciate that. Uh, we'll sort of pepper these in as we flow through our discussion today. Uh, we're really going to focus most of the show on the 2019 season. We'll go through our schedule of opponents. Um, interesting look at the lens of this year's schedule, which is going to be actually unique to all years. Um, number one in terms of strength of schedule, but also the way it plays out and um, introduction of an additional bye week this year. Um, we'll touch on some high-level storylines of the offense and defense. Um, there's some depth chart stuff that's come out. We've obviously had a couple of transfers impact where depth is looking. So obviously some interesting things to touch on there. Um, and then I think obviously we've already started to talk about expectations for this year, but we can kind of dig into that a little more deeply. Um, really, we're about a month out. Like we said, we're going to be doing a lot more thorough analysis and sort of prognostication for this season coming up in the coming weeks. Um, but this will be a good way for us to kind of dust things off and take an initial view at stuff. Um, I, I think as always, what we like to do with this show is put where we are currently with Clemson football into perspective as fans, um, state of the program, some of those things. We got a couple of good questions there uh, that we want to touch on as well. Um, and we'll wrap today's show. Obviously the 2019 season is laser focused for us, but um, it's always about restocking that cupboard. We're going to have a number of guys leave for the league after this coming year. And the 2020 class is shaping up to be something special. The all-in cookout is happening. It happened basically yesterday. Still got some guys on campus over the weekend. So we want to touch on some updates that have come out from that too. Well, we need to be checking uh, the internets here while we're recording to make sure no commitments happen. Um, but I wanted to touch on real quick um, the, the feeling as fans, kind of going back to that point you made and what we were talking about a little bit earlier, um, coming into the season. You know, it really is a different perspective um, once you are essentially the, the powerhouse in college football and everybody else is looking up to you. Um, I can remember, well, what Clemson has winning has, has done for me, aside from all the jubilation and all the, all the great things, it has made college football more boring to me. Um, several years ago, I could watch other college football games all day long because generally I was still watching teams in big matchups that were better than Clemson. So to watch that skill, that level of play um, was interesting to me. Now it's hard to do because I have a hard time watching football games with, with less talented players. And also for the season and like the offseason, it makes the offseason more boring because, you know, usually you get really excited about the beginning of the season, but our schedule sucks and we're blowing everybody out of the water. There's not a lot of storylines during the year. So you're really just waiting for for December, right? December and, and January. So finding some motivation, which Dabo's really good at, and there's been any number of things that come, you know, dumb things said by Alabama players here in the offseason that you can give Clemson that motivation. But um, yeah, it's just, I mean, I mean, excited about football season, but it is a different perspective. Like, what are we looking for here? What are we, um, you, we have to dig a bit deeper to make this interesting, it seems like. 
Yeah, I think uh, a lot of other fans of other schools feel the same way. There, there's fatigue with the Alabama Clemson storyline. It's been you know four years in a row. People are tired of it. Um, but I, I don't. I'm still super excited about the season. Like getting guys back on the field. There's a lot of question marks that are. It's a different kind of question mark than it used to be. Um, but there's a lot of unproven depth for our team this year, right? And seeing the defense without. Uh, the Power Rangers is going to be a totally new experience for for this team, and so seeing some guys step up and get those starting roles and figure out who's going to contribute and who's going to have breakout seasons and that kind of stuff is it just it changes the the storylines, right? We're not thinking, oh, will we will we make the playoff? Will we make a good bowl game? It's we expect to make the the playoff and potentially be in the championship game if not win it, but there are intricacies within the season that are different from, from past years. So it's still a lot to look forward to, I think. Well, well, if history has taught us anything, it's that very early on in the season, we're going to see things that make us question, oh, wait, can we win a national championship with what we're seeing from this team? And part of that's going to be because we're not showing our cards from the offensive playbook early on. We're throwing a lot of guys in there um, early on in important situations to get them experience. Like, that is just... That's how it goes now. We're, we're so talented, and we've seen us come slow out of the gates um, for a few seasons during this run, so it's nothing to get worried about. Um, we'll have some takeaways from that, some critiques. Uh, we'll start to see some weak spots, certainly. Uh, they'll emerge on defense and offense, uh, but they will be exasperated a little bit just by the fact that we're going to be playing a lot more guys than most other teams, but we've seen that enough now that we should feel comfortable about it. Yeah, I think a big thing that we've talked about for years now, even going back to just after the 2015 National Championship game, uh, was not losing sort of that that joy or really going back to what Dabo says, the fun being in the winning. I think it's important to keep in perspective what uh, what's our over-under for wins this year? 11 and a half. 11 and a half. Like, we were, we were dying to get that 10th win back, you know, a decade ago. So uh, just continuing to try to appreciate what we're going through, while at the same time, I, I do think we are potentially likely to see the team not putting its best foot forward from a playbook standpoint you know, week in, week out. I mean, you are going to see some growing pains of having new depth on the team. Um, that can Obviously, that can lead to frustration, but I think it can also lead to learning a lot of new names on the team and learning what we actually have, have going for us. And this is actually where... Looking ahead to, I know recruiting can be a complete rabbit hole for people. Um, and it's, you know, it's something easy to keep at arm's length, but this is actually where you can think about roster construction as fans and like, what, what do we need to stock the cupboard for future seasons? Um, so, and from a coaching standpoint, like where does development need to happen? So uh, there's kind of games within the game that you can examine as fans that, you know, I'm looking forward to in a season where we're projected to win 12 games, basically. I'm going to round up, Sam. Well, and it's it's kind of looking around the college football too, and seeing if anybody else is going to emerge as a, as a viable uh, opponent. Yeah, for me in the ACC, like Does, I, yeah, the the expectation. So let's be honest. Last year, the ACC was awful, and it's not like they're going to be much better this year. The, the the lower tier, the middle class of the ACC, and even the upper middle were all atrocious. They took step. Each of those three groups took a step back from the previous year and the previous two years. Um, going back to when Miami had its re- resurgence um, and all those new coaches came to bear in the Coastal. I think this year you're going to see that middle class take another step forward. And guys, maybe we can use this as a chance to transition to, the, to talk about the schedule. 
Um, I think that's going to be something. Obviously, I'm going to have two eyes on the Clemson game, but also half an eye elsewhere on the ACC, our upcoming opponents. And naturally, we're going to be drawn to who are we going to face in the college football playoff. I personally think there's maybe six, seven teams that can contend for that this year across the country. I think in years past, that's been a lot deeper of a field. Uh, but this year, it's going to be basically one to two teams per conference max that are going to be able to do that. Um, so like, it's almost like a rich get richer type of situation in college football. But I think really it's about how long can Clemson sustain our level of dominance in our league. I think the answer is for a long time, looking at some of the recruiting prognostication for this year. But um, it will be cool to see, like, where's Willie Taggart getting Florida State? Uh, what's going on with some of the rebuilds at North Carolina? Um, does Dino Babers actually have something going at Syracuse that they can sustain? Everyone thinks he's going to get hired away, but um, that is going to be an early season game for Clemson. It's going to be an interesting test going back up to Syracuse. So anyway, a lot of storylines in the ACC. Like, obviously, as Clemson fans, we're outmatching all these opponents. But um, anyway, I'm looking forward to the league bouncing back a bit. Yeah, well, I'm thinking the question is with the league. It's like, who else is going to step up? You know, Florida State still has a long way to go. You know, they've been shedding quarterbacks. I know they brought in some transfers, but it's still a mess down there. Um, other contenders within the uh, within the division, North Carolina State. I mean, do you have any faith in them and, and Dave Dorn? Like, they don't strike fear into my heart. Louisville's down um, right now. You mentioned Syracuse and Dino Babers. I think last year was probably the time for him to bolt with Eric Dungy being gone heading into this season. Uh, still a phenomenal coach. I have a lot of respect for him and expect um, that game up in Syracuse to be a you know, somewhat difficult one. I'll actually be going to that. But uh, – Still, when you take a look at our schedule, and especially our ACC schedule, nothing strikes fear under your heart. So you're like Boston College. Okay, well, that'll probably be somewhat of a difficult game. It's homecoming in Clemson, so maybe not. Um, got Wake Forest on the schedule. That doesn't really concern you any. So, And then you look into the, um, the Coastal and who we may face in that uh, ACC championship game. Uh, North Carolina, who we do have on the schedule this year under Mac Brown. You know, we all forget Miami. You talked about the coaching uh, halls in the Coastal a few years ago. Mark Rick's already gone. Yeah. You know, lasted two years there. So what do you expect out of them? So then you got Virginia Tech well, in my and Duke. I mean, those plug-in teams that, you know, that's fine, whatever. But it's probably not going to be Pitt, but Pitt, could, Pitt seems to be the team that is the last one standing a lot. Is yeah, that, I mean, it's, they're the ones that have given us struggle and struggles in other seasons. But Did we play them in the ACC championship game last year? We did. Yeah, it see, was, like, it's so, like, I don't care. You don't I even, even notice. remember it. Yeah. yeah, so looking at the, the odds makers, they have us at 11.5 wins, which, Tully, I think rounding up to 12 makes sense. Generally, if you're going to make that bet, I'm around like I, would, 15. I would take the over on the 11.5 because and, the and schedule is so weak. And that's a regular season total. That's a regular season even total. Even before the... That's out of 12. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if you're looking at the rest of the ACC, Miami and Virginia Tech are the, the next two that have the highest uh, projected win totals at 8.5. So they don't think anyone else in the regular season in the ACC is going to even crack nine wins, potentially. <laughs> uh, which is, it that speaks volumes about the quality of the competition this season. And those top two teams are both not in our division. So... Uh, it's like know, the Atlantic is missing an upper middle class. And actually the Coastal, and when I say that, I guess it's sort of like a 10-win 10 10-win 10 team. Um, and in the past, we've, we've always had that, either Clemson being there or Florida State, or occasionally you'll have a year with Virginia Tech or Miami that are like yep. ranked top 10. And they might have a, a, a misstep somewhere. But 
Like there's there's no other team in the ACC this year that's going to consistently be in the polls. No, well, They'll the, be in and out in the twenties. Maybe the fact of the matter is Clemson is the one percent, right? They're the top one percent. I mean, it's like a political reference. I, you know, I don't think anybody in the top one percent is listening to this, and so we're not going to offend anybody there. Um, but that, that's how it is. It's not like there's any less talent throughout college football. They're just all funneling into certain schools, and Clemson is one of them right now. So. Yep. I mean, it's great from a it's great from a point of being able to watch a team with all this talent on it go out there and just wax everybody and wax people in the college football playoffs. But it's not great from a parity standpoint, uh, in a level of competition standpoint. Um, so, I mean, the ACC is not necessarily down because of bad coaching and bad recruiting and stuff like that. It's yeah. it <laughs> could be part of it. Yeah, it's a combo. But but Clemson and Alabama are pulling away, and the, the top, the upper echelon. And college football is pulling away. Like, there's a vast difference between the number one team and the number twenty-five team. Yeah, there's a huge difference between the number one team and the number ten team yeah, at this exactly. point. There are six teams that have projected ten or more wins for this season based on Vegas odds. We're at eleven and a half. That is the most of anyone. Uh, Ohio State's at ten and a half. Oklahoma's at ten and a half. Alabama and Georgia are both at eleven, and the last one is Boise State at ten. Uh, those top five are exactly who you would expect. You would think four of those teams are probably going to be in the playoff, if not maybe three and somebody like a Washington or somebody sneaks in, who knows. Uh, but those are the same five teams that we've seen throwing in Notre Dame one year, you know, Oregon at the beginning of the college football playoff. But like those are the same teams that are in it every year. And so it's it's a huge jump from those top five or six teams down to 10, 15, 20. And it's just more extreme in the ACC than it is in any of the other conferences. I mean, I think as a broader college football fan, I'm happy that there are two elite teams and programs. And they managed to face off against each other the last four seasons. That part isn't great that they continue to do that, um, just from a novelty and kind of getting new blood in. But it, it's better than, you know, eight years ago when it really was Alabama standing head and shoulders above the rest of college football. They took they had a couple years where they took a step back, and that's where you got, you know, Florida State had an uprising. Ohio State won a title in that run. Auburn and um, Oregon played a national title in 2010. So anyway, I, again, I think it's it's good that there's sort of you see the best playing the best, and these national championship games have all been pretty good, except for this last season, which was a blowout. But oh um, darn, that is still pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and you know, like while it's a little bit more of a a little bit more of a mystery or less of a mystery about who's going to be in your last you know, subset of teams. Um, I think you trade that off with having like generally pretty good games happening in the title. So would, as a Clemson fan going into this season, I still look forward to playing Alabama in the college football playoff until somebody else steps up. And I mean, it hasn't, especially with the way they've been talking the off season about oh, yeah. just the, the excuses. And I don't take offense by them. I just kind of, it's adorable. To me, um, how they just can't move on except the fact that they got their ass kicked. Um, but I still look forward they, to, to playing them, yeah. right? And, and, and that's the team that I want to beat. And I mean, maybe Georgia, like that would be an exciting matchup. But like Oklahoma or Ohio State, uh, yeah, it doesn't excite me anymore. Yeah, because we've handled them. Yeah, you know, we've we've handled them. Put it that way. Um, well, I want to flip to our first question, and this came from an unusual source. Um, we. Receive this question from the Garnet and Black Attack podcast. Uh, they're at GabbaCast on Twitter. Um, interesting. We, we welcome that. 
we welcome questions and all interaction from Gamecock Nation. Um, their question was, in your opinion, podcast, what is your top three? What are your top three most dangerous games of the season? Not necessarily the hardest from a talent standpoint, but most dangerous trap games, potential for an opponent that's extra motivated, etc. Um, Sam, I don't know if you put any thought into these. Maybe give us like one game that you think is, you know, potentially dangerous for Clemson. Yeah, I think I think the most obvious one is the AM game. Uh, it's probably the most talented team we're going to face all year. Um, they've got two cupcake cupcake games around that in their schedule. Um, one of them is Lamar and one of them is, I think, Texas State to start the season. So they're not going to be prepping for anything but us for the first three weeks of the season. Um, what better way for Jimbo to get a marquee initial win yep. than to go to Clemson? Yep, and they put a scare on us last year, you know, we we got lucky to come out of there with a win after Kellen Mond and the receivers just lost their damn minds for four quarters. Um, hey, props to Kelly Bryant. Yeah, huge win for us, obviously. But uh, I think that's that's definitely the most dangerous game. It's early in the year. Our depth is not going to be established yet. We're not going to have had time to figure out the rotations on everything yet. Some players are still going to be you know getting their feet under them, figuring out where they fit in the offense or on the defense. So if, if Texas A&M can, can come in prepped, which they should have time to prepare, we've got a conference game right before that. So we have an important game to start the season against Georgia Tech, which we have to be focused on. And, and a little bit, a couple extra days, because it's a Thursday night game, yeah. to prep for Texas A&M. But they've got pretty much the entire week, because Texas State is not going to put up a fight. So they've got the whole offseason to prep for this one game. Uh, and I think that's, Jimbo's a good coach, that's, so that's a little bit scary. Um, but... You know, talent-wise, we've definitely got the advantage. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. See, the 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 problem is you have to like take this all down to a relative scale because there really should be no dangerous schemes on the schedule this year. When you look at the regular season schedule, knowing the talent and the pedigree that Clemson has versus what these other teams have, there's really should be no excuse for Clemson losing a football game. We're going to be favored by three scores in every game. Like that is yeah that is the that's the reality and it'll and, be three scores by halftime most of the time right um, so well, you really do have to take it down to relative scale so Texas A and M is an obvious choice um, but like, Ben let me ask let me let me ask the question a different way um, which game will you be least surprised if we end up with a third quarter deficit down in the third quarter least surprised and. Obviously, A and M might be one of those. So let's I call think that the I, I still, choice. yeah, I still stick with A and M as my top one there. But I'm I mean, gonna go, I'm gonna go with Boston College personally. I think that's one where something like ball control. They have AJ Dillon, very capable runner. I think we have question marks on the run defensive side. That's Obviously, a good point. Yeah, that's gonna be you know one two three four five six seven. That's our eighth game of the season. Um, so hopefully by then we've got the a bit of the rotations figured out up front in terms of stopping the run, um, and we will have played. Cam Akers in Florida State two weeks prior, but I really look at that one as they generally show up from a defensive standpoint. Last year, you can throw last year's game out because Andre Brown got hurt on the first play of the game. Christian Wilkins rolled him up. They were they were already playing, you know, with one arm tied behind their back um, in regards to their offense. But anyway, I maybe to answer the question, I, my vote is BC on that one. Yeah, and you look at South Carolina. Um, you know, that's a game that's on the road in Columbia. They're going to be hyped up from that one. You know it, and coming back in with a little bit of an edge from last year after uh, Bentley threw for over 500 yards, I don't know, was it 500 or 600? It was a lot. 
Um, so you do look at that game. Obviously, South Carolina is going to have us in the crosshairs. Be a lot of emotions in that game. Clemson's likely to be undefeated um, at that point. So that's always a, a possible scenario. It's a rivalry game, so we'll see what happens. They could have a Tavian Feaster in their backfield against, as you mentioned, we're not sure how our run defense is going to be this year, although by that point of the season, I hope we've got that buttoned up. But, um, you know, that that's always a possibility for a tough game, but it's really, it's hard. Like, North Carolina, what are we going to expect out of them in Mac Brown's first year? You know, we don't no play Daniel in Chapel. Jones, though. What's that? No Daniel Jones. Though. No Daniel Jones. He's a dude. Sorry. Oh, that's, yeah. But North Carolina. Basketball school, whatever. North yeah. Carolina brought in the quarterback recruit from uh, Florida State that yeah. switched. Um but again, you don't know what you're going to have there. I mean, I say that just because North Carolina is kind of an unknown. Clemson doesn't play them a lot. It's on the road early in the season, um, early-ish yeah. in the season. But I don't know. It's it, it's hard, man, to make an argument, like a legitimate argument for any of these teams. Yeah, I like the BC call. That's interesting. Uh, the other two that I would that I would look at are very similar on our schedule and the way that we're going to be approaching the game. We're both coming off uh, bye weeks for both of them, and that's Florida State and South Carolina. They're both strong offensive teams, or at least have the poten- potential to be. Um, that, And they're both at least semi-rivalry games. Florida State, less so the last couple of years, but generally a big rivalry game. Obviously, South Carolina, huge rival for us. Historically. Who, who is Florida State's quarterback? Did Blackman end up staying? Blackman will be their starting quarterback probably this year. Uh, they also got Alex Hornibrook from Wisconsin as a transfer. So if it's not Blackman, it'll be Hornibrook. Blackman's the far more dangerous player if he can figure it out. I mean, the big question for them is going to be offensive line. Yeah. But what's interesting, Sam, you and I were talking about this offline before we recorded. They have a new offensive system under Kendall Bryles, son and former OC at Baylor, son of our Bryles, former Baylor head coach. He was at Baylor. Was he Lane Kiffin's OC last year? Yeah. Kendall Bryles. So Mm -hmm. he brings the air raid style offense so again, you know, I mean, the, that importance of that O line may not maybe understated when they're just getting the ball out in two seconds. Yeah, and like last year, Florida State didn't really have much going for them at all. The one thing they did have was explosive playmaking offensively. They had playmakers on the outside, and if the quarterbacks got more than three seconds to you know let people run, uh, and they made a good throw, which was not super reliable either. There was a good chance that their receivers went up and get it. They've got a good receiving core. They're young. They had a freshman last year who killed it. They've got a couple of sophomores that are that are going to be good this year as juniors. Um, I mean, I, maybe I'll I'll flip this into a question. I like which team on the schedule do you think has the highest ceiling? Like, would you put that at Syracuse or do you think Florida State? Uh, I think without Dungy, Syracuse is going to take a hit this year. Uh, I would put the highest ceiling with Florida State with the caveat that if they don't figure out their offensive line, which was one of the worst in college football last year, their floor is pretty low as well. Yeah. Um, but I could I could easily see Florida State winning eight or nine games this year after being horrendous last season and winning five. Um, well, they better because, I, I mean, I know it's only Willie Taggart's second year, but I could see him being on the hot seat. He might already be on the hot seat. Like it was, yeah. he was not brought in with a lot of fanfare. There's a lot of question marks around that. Times are tough in, Florida, in Tallahassee, though. Yeah. I'm not sure what his buyout looks like, but it also depends on who else is available. Absolutely yeah, I mean, right. Go, but right? also, they're they're essentially broke. They've got the South Carolina syndrome right now, where they're not going to pay a, a large, uh, they're not going to pay a, a large sum to fire their coach, just like South Carolina won't. So, I think 
one to two years, we're going to be stuck with Willie Taggart and Will Muschamp. You know, and that's it's fine from a Clemson winning things standpoint because uh, they're not necessarily the greatest coaches. Muschamp, Taggart's still got potential to, to turn this thing around. Muschamp, I think, has proven himself to be a middle-of-the-road coach. I still um, think he has more pedigree than Taggart, though. Yeah, I'm not super impressed by either, really. But uh, for this season, I think those are definitely two of our most – at least potential pitfall games. Um, A&M's the best team we play. Those two have potential to turn into something really good, especially by uh, the point in the season that we play them, right? If maybe they've figured something out by that point in the year. Yeah. Um, maybe Blackman has, you know, a breakout season and the offensive line is competent for Florida State. Which, um, to your point, I mean, it's nice that we do get Florida State and South Carolina, two of the more potent offenses. We get those after a bye week. Yep. So from a game planning standpoint, you get Brent Venable's, 13 days to game plan. Yep. I feel great about that. And I think I would give our defensive coaching staff, Venables and, and company, the advantage over the offensive people behind Florida State and, and South Carolina. Kendall Bryles is a good coach. He's not as good as Venables is. Um, yeah. So but, those those extra weeks to prep are going to are what kind of makes me hesitate in saying there's a chance that we get upset there because uh, I feel like we're going to come in really ready for both of those games. Bottom, bottom line, it's a it's a reach for all of these. I mean, <laughs> exactly. it, the, the schedule just sucks because these teams are just not that competitive against us right now. And I mean, I again, hats off to Clemson for scheduling out a conference. If, if it was yeah, not absolutely. Texas A&M and we were scheduled against you know, an even more middling SEC opponent, let's say, um, this would be... This would be a real stinker of a schedule. And I think the AM game gives it some type of pedigree. It'll stand up to the larger comparison down the line. Well, I mean, it's all we got. So, yeah. So that 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 kind of leads us into our, our next question. We had a mailbag question to this effect. Um, this one comes from Satan. Do you think Clemson's soft ACC schedule gives them an advantage against Alabama year in, year out? I don't, I don't buy into the SEC beats each other up philosophy. So I, I would say no. I actually remember reading a tweet that Clemson had, number one, among the most games played against top 25 opponents of the last five seasons, and we had the second or top winning percentage as well. So I would almost refute the basis of the question that our schedule is soft. Like We're actually we're playing like very legitimate top 25 programs. Um, this what season, I would, though? Oh, this coming year? Yeah. Uh, I mean, let's put it this way. Like, we have the clearest path back to the playoff. I'll acknowledge that. But what I was going to say is, I think regardless of opponent, Clemson is, from a coaching philosophy standpoint, trotting out 65, 70 guys per game. And and so that's my point. But we did that against, we're doing that against, like, we did that against A&M last year. We did Mm -hmm. that against Alabama. Well, and so my question would be, my response to that, a question be of course there's an advantage when your schedule's easier there, there just inherently is uh, my question is though how can it hurt you and it can hurt you if you're just playing your starters all four quarters of these games waxing these opponents and just breezing by but if you're creating internal competition internal conflict that just uh, if you're putting something in place to make the games harder for you which is what these coaches do when they start inserting second and third string guys in the second quarter of football games. Uh, that does help balance out the competition a little bit. There is, it makes things a little bit harder. You get guys with more experience. 
Uh, so when you come to crunch time in big games, you can actually put them in and trust them. And they're going with their fresher legs against the more worn down defensive or offenses of other teams. So I think the way that the coaches avoid have it uh, becoming, uh, becoming a negative impact, ha- having a negative impact on Clemson for being a weak schedule, I think that's the key. Of course, it's an advantage, uh, but how can it hurt you and how can you yeah. avoid it? I think there's a couple pieces to look at with that question. One is the one you just touched on, Ben. Yes, of course, it's going to be an easier in the regular season to beat worse teams, right? When we we don't have to play Georgia every year, we don't have to play LSU every year. Those are really strong football programs that are consistently competitive and in the conversation for national titles. But the question was, does it give us an advantage playing Alabama? And the answer to that is no. Because, first of all, every team has injuries throughout the season and struggles with depth at some point and, you know, plays 12 games. We're playing Alabama in the national championship game or in the playoff each of the last four years. There are several weeks between the end of the season and the start of those games. They have time to recover. A lot of the guys that have those niggling small injuries are fine by the championship game. Well, in, in, in Saban's... You know, brings brings it up quite often of the distraction of the players going to the NFL or the turnover of the coaching staff. And listen, man, you're the coach. You're getting paid millions of dollars. That's on you to keep everybody ready and keep. That's how he runs his system. Co- he runs coaches, coaches off yeah. and players off. Like, yeah, I mean, do something yeah. different. Then, like, don't yeah. com- don't complain to us about it. You know, yep. I think what I would say too. There's this um, belief that Alabama was playing a grueling SEC schedule. They were winning games by 28 points. Yeah. They were sitting their own starters. They weren't getting as many guys in as Clemson had, but I just kind of refute that they were beat up and all that. Take Alabama out of the SEC for like the last four years, and it's a very different perception of the, the strength of the SEC. Sure, you've got Georgia. Sure, you've got LSU. But outside of those teams, yeah. consistently? Mm-hmm. Um, and Sam, kind of going back to your commentary about Georgia Tech, Yes, it's a conference game to lead off the year. Yes, we want to be we want Clemson to be focused on that. Georgia Tech, this is not your dad's transition year. Yeah. Transition year, brand new coach. They do not have the talent and players that fit the new system. So it's gonna be a rough year for them. It is gonna be a very rough first week. I'm not trying to look past anybody or besmirch them, but I guarantee our coaching staff is focused on AM as well. Yeah, I think they'll the staff will be focused on AM, but they'll be working to make sure that the players are not. Um, yeah. which is a struggle to Ben's point that he just made about Alabama. There's players looking ahead to the, to the NFL and there's coaching coaches who come in as assistants at Alabama who are looking ahead to their next head coaching job. Um, it's a smaller scale, obviously from week one to week two, uh, for the football for the football schedule, but, um, definitely hard to keep guys eyes focused on the current week when it is, you know, a Georgia tech team that is playing something besides the option for the first time in a million years. So it'll be interesting to see. I think I'm a, I'm a little salty that that AM game is a 3:30 kick, not yeah. a, not a night game, not a prime time game. Um, we will have Syracuse the following week in prime time. Hey, at least we're on ABC and not the ACC network that we may or may not get. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. I mean, most sports buyers carry the ACC network, but no, I, I'm with you. I'm gonna be able to watch the game at home and DVR it. I'm not even sure all sports parts get it. I don't know. We'll see. Come <laughs> come, come Thursday, August 29th, we'll see if we actually can watch the football game. Thanks, Swafi. Um, 
So I want to transition a bit, guys, to talking about the the team, the roster, some of the storylines of the season. Um, why don't we start with the offense? And really, we touched on it, you know, Ben, kind of an in intro for expectations through the year, bringing a lot back, a lot of depth and talent and, you know, snaps on the offensive line. Um, a lot of, obviously, bring back most of the receiving core. Um, Mari Rogers, a little question of health there. Um, Main storylines, I think, just to touch on them and, and list those off. A um, little bit of depth issues at running back. We've got Tavian Feaster transferring either to Virginia Tech or South Carolina. Has not yet, as of this recording, announced. Um, we also have a suspension at tight end. So a little bit of question marks there in terms of who's going to get snaps, who's going to get targets in the passing game on the tight end roster spot. Um, some of the alignment and rotations on the O-line as well. Um, how does Sean Pollard take to the center position? Um, but really, offense is probably the most stable group on this team overall. So high expectations there. Um, I don't know if you guys had or if we got any questions from the Facebook side about the offense. I want to start with one, though, from um, friend of the pod, Ben Freeman. He's on Twitter at, at FreemanPedia. Um, he had a question actually more related to the coordinator situation. So right now we've got the co-OCs, Skelliot as we call them. Will we be in the same boat with the co-offense coordinators in the 2020 season? And wanted to see where you guys stood on the state of our, our assistance. I mean, what, what person in their right mind would not come back for Trevor Lawrence's third year? Especially as an offensive coordinator. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty strong argument. Uh, they also get paid pretty darn well. Um, as assistants, as co-coordinators, yeah. they're not even individual, like primary coordinators. They still get paid a million dollars each this year. Um, and the other question is where, what, what caliber school, what level yeah. of program is likely to hire them as a first-time head coach um, to come away from Clemson? I think in order to leave this situation, you've got to be talking about an upper-tier Power Five conference team to be to justify leaving. And I don't know that those schools, A, are going to have openings come up this year, or B, be willing to take that shot on a first-time head coach. Well, and I, I think that if you're Jeff Scott and Tony Elliott, you hold all the cards in your hand. Um, you know, your co-offense coordinator is making a good bit of money for the best team in college football. So if UAB comes calling, yeah, you don't need to leave for that. Uh, wait for a bigger-name school, whether it be in the SC, or sorry, in the ACC or elsewhere. I mean, what if? Tagger gets fired, booted from Florida State this year. Is that a job that they look to Tony Elliott to fill? You know, it's interesting that Georgia Tech, I don't even think, brought Elliott in uh, mm-hmm. during their coaching search last year. Um, so, I mean, for us as Clemson fans, it's nice that these guys are kind of going under the radar. And, you know, we've had our complaints and you know, little hiccups with the offense in years past, but I think we've seen that work out, again, understanding the playbook's not being opened up early in the season and we're playing a lot of subs. Um, and we're very comfortable where we are right now with these guys, especially with the, the boatload of talent we have across the board. So it's nice for us, but it's inevitable that they will leave and go somewhere. You don't keep all these talented assistants on forever. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, I, I don't think it'll be after this season, though. I think they'll get one more year in at least. Uh, Tully, you mentioned it would have to be at least a mid-level Power 5 conference team to draw them away. I think it's got to be pretty high level, uh, even yeah. like if you're looking at uh, SEC teams as an example, they're not going to go to Vanderbilt, right? They might or go Kentucky. to like or Kentucky. They might go to like a Tennessee who's been down for several years that used to be an elite program. Something like that might I mean, be Tennessee a draw. Tennessee brought in the phone book 
for its last opening, it didn't even sniff Jeff Scott, Tony Elliott. Yeah. Like, so I just think they're off the radar of the type of school that it would take to draw them away Yep. for now. Yep. And that can change. My hope is, you know, and again, this is like very biased and, you know, hopeful as well. No one's going to, no one's going to walk away from a consecutive run of titles. So we managed to win this year. They're not likely to leave, go defend your title twice over, you know, next couple of years, next two, three years, if we continue to win titles, are they really going to want to walk away from that type of a run? Not yeah. sure. I think, I think the circumstances stay the same for them if we continue to win, right? I'm getting paid well. We're winning. We have a million weapons to play with. I love uh, it here. Love it it's, here. The program is fantastic. Both, both coordinators we went to Clemson. Yeah. It's their alma mater. Um, yep. Anyway, you know, you know maybe again, they'll we're just, super biased. Maybe they'll just stay and wait out Dabo's retirement in 30 years. And they'll be co-head coaches. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> first could, time could, ever. You, could you elevate Dabo to like co-athletic director and kind of promote these guys? He's shown humility and willing to be creative. So that was a thought I had is like, give them an additional title bump to go along with. They're not just coordinators. They're kind of like, Let's see where football is coaches. in thirty years, or <laughs> right? You know, I mean, I you mentioned Florida State. That is the type of pro, that would be such a coup for the Florida State fan base and alumni and just program. Number one, you're getting a, a quality head coach. Number two, you're hurting your chief rival in conference. Yeah, so. I think ACC is kind of the interesting one, right? Yeah. If if a Florida State or you know Virginia Tech, if, if, if the Georgia Tech doesn't yeah. thing doesn't work out in a couple of years, once they've established normal players on the roster that are not option people. Uh, you know, it's a good recruiting area generally. Like I could see that a few years from now, but that's not going to be next season. Right. Um, but stealing somebody away in conference would, would be the way that you would hurt us most. Yeah. Um, there, so it's interesting. There's a good chance here in the near future when one, of, one or both of these guys leaves for a head coaching job that they're going to go to a team that we've traditionally kind of hated whether that be a Florida State, um, I'm, you know, say Ohio State, not saying it's going to be that, but just kind of mentioning that, that caliber of team um, to where we're going to have a hard decision to make whether you as a Clemson fan, and I think we have to we'll support, start, that, guy. support yeah. that guy and respecting that team. Mm-hmm. Um, short of going to South Carolina, you know, that's the kind of position you're in. Um, can't hold it against them, and these guys are getting so much – to Clemson, you want the best of their future. You want to see them succeed. So, yeah. Um, just not if they're playing us. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's true. A lot of the, of a lot of the guys that are transferring out of the program as well. We talked about Tavian Feaster potentially going to South Carolina or Virginia Tech, either in conference or biggest historical rival. You still want the the kid to do well, right? Like if he goes to South Carolina, I want him to have a great well, year until so week twelve. What do you think about the transfer portal and specifically the possibility of Feaster transferring to South Carolina? We also had, in addition to Feaster, Shaq Smith and Kyler and Michael here recently, so we can talk about those guys. Um, but the the idea of the transfer portal in general um, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Um, I'm kind of seeing it in my mind tied in with this. Uh, it came on about the same time as the the four-game redshirt rule. So I'm kind of seeing them all in the same atmosphere. Um, the four-game redshirt rule, I personally like. The transfer portal, I'm not high on right now. I'll give my take. I'm for anything that encourages player empowerment, mobility being one of those. If these guys feel it's in their career best interest, personal best interest, educational best interest to be at another program, 
when they were 17 or 16 and a half and they committed to a coach who has now left and committed to a program three years later, if they want to get out of there, like they've got their reasons. I'm generally good with it. What I, what I don't like is the inconsistency with which waivers are assigned or aligned or levied um, with which, you know, decisions are made to forgo the one year waiting period. I think we need a system of consistency there. Uh, but as far as kind of player, player autonomy, I'm all about it. Yep. I, I agree hundred percent totally. It, it's I'm fine with the transfer portal in general. Um, players need to be able to go to a program that's going to help them most personally, professionally, educationally, whatever, whatever thing they need, think they need. That's how people choose to transfer schools in general in life. Right. Um, they're they're just because they play football shouldn't be any different. But the consistency with which the NCAA or the lack of consistency with which the NCAA has uh, given out waivers to let people play immediately or made them wait a year, it doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, the coach tra- they, there are consistencies within that. The coach transfer thing is usually a given that they're going to get a waiver if they've graduated in their grad transfer. Obviously, they're fine. Yeah. Um, those rules are clear. Those ones are clear. Yeah. But the other stuff like, oh, there was a death in the family and they're moving closer to home. Do they get a waiver or not? Is it really closer to home? Like, we need to have clear-cut rules that the players can abide by and the coaching staffs can anticipate so that programs don't get crippled and players don't get, uh, you know, overly penalized for things like transferring when it's a, a family situation or I mean, I think whatever terms, else. And you can look at the, you rattled off the names, Ben, that Clemson's seen walk out the door. Um, the manner in which those are handled, the timing of Kyler McMichael decommitting and immediately signing with North Carolina. Well, and that's... Um, the, some yeah. of those things, they carry their own questions. I'm not willing to throw the whole system out because of kind of a couple of situations. Well, let me let me throw out a situation in which it did work, the, the four-game redshirt rule and the transfer portal worked well, hand in hand, and that was in the Kelly Bryant situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I predicted this last year heading into the season. Yeah, I was like, you know, I was mentioning this. Look out for those f- first four games. It's a very good possibility Kelly plays those four games. They put Trevor in the starter, and Kelly transfers. So that's exactly what happened, and that was the best move for Kelly Bryant. The four game, uh, the four game uh, system worked for him in that it was long enough for him to have his opportunity to show that he was better than Trevor Lawrence. He did not. He had the opportunity to save his final season, go somewhere else where he could be the starter, and showcase himself to try to get uh, into the league next year. Whether or not that's going to happen, that's beside the point, but it worked well for him in that situation. Where I don't think it's worked out as well, the Kyler McMichael situation, where he transferred portal one day, announces next day he's at North Carolina. Now, whether or not he entered on that day, it may have been a week before. We don't know that. But, but also, you mentioned like I mean, the kid wants to go somewhere that gives himself the best product to, to be the best player he can and go into the NFL. It's not North Carolina still. It's playing five, 400, 400, 500 snaps at Clemson. I mean, you may not be first string. Sorry that a wide receiver came over and took your position, bro, but that's on you, you know? That's on you. And if you want to go play weaker comp- against weaker competition and have that be your way into playing more, then so be it. But you're hurting yourself, in my opinion. Yeah, I think I think the timing of of that one is really the most confusing because uh, he waited until just before the season or camp was getting started. It's not like you're four string and you're a sophomore. Exactly. Dude. Yeah. Uh, so if it's a transfer because I don't think I'm going to play this year and it's last second like this, there needs to be a clear cut rule. 
if you transfer before X date, you can play immediately or wherever you go. If you decommit and don't commit until X date, then you can't play before or for that season, right? Um, it's like, I don't, is he going to be able to play this yeah. season for North Carolina? Yeah, I mean, he's not a graduate, right? Yeah. Nope. No, that, that's he's what this allows him to do. So, well, just like Shaq Smith, he's going to play at Maryland. That's another case. Well, Shaq like, Smith's he, a grad. Shaq Smith graduated from Clemson. Um, and so did Feaster. Right. Yeah. Uh, so those well, guys are, those guys I, are I fine. Think, I think yeah. Feaster is still pending. I'm still, I don't like the idea of Feaster going to South Carolina. And I know you say you hope him well, but. Uh, I, I would rather he didn't go to South it's, Carolina. It's curious to me that Kyler, I hope he Kyler get McMichael is eligible to play this season. Did he have yeah. a hardship waiver? I'm not right. as what, well read What on qualifies that. as hardship, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that is where the inconsistencies come in with the transfer policy for the NCAA. And if Kyler Michael is able to play at North Carolina this year, that doesn't make sense to me because he's transferring because he got shipped down in the depth chart because he lost his job. Lost his starting role or potential it's not starting. He lost role. his job. He just didn't win the job. He, exactly. He right? didn't. He wasn't good enough to be what he thought he was at Clemson, and so he said, "Well, I'm going to go to a program that's going to let me play right away, and get more snaps." And yes, that is potentially advantageous for him. You know, improving as a player. I would argue against that. To Ben's point, yeah, that's I, not going to help him most. I, I think we're all of the mind that there should not be player free agency in college. Meaning at any point you're not liking where you are in the depth chart. You're not liking the playbook coaching staff slated you in some way. You can just bounce out of there. Like that goes against commitments. The commitments need to mean something. Still. Um, and just, I don't know. It's really hard to run our program then when things are like that. And that's why, you know, in the NBA and stuff, there are contracts that usually players need to abide by. Well, Anthony Davis, Paul George, those guys are, uh, demanding trades and opting out and all of that stuff. So it's an interesting time in all of sports right now. I think tightening up the rules and making things consistent around transfers in college, I think you're going to be, that's going to be important. Otherwise you're just going to see a lot of, a lot more guys feeling slated entering the portal. Yep. So, so McMichael does have to sit out this year, which makes even less sense. Why are you transferring somewhere to sit out a year to get more playing time when you could play a ton this year and possibly win another national championship. I mean, I guess he wouldn't be able to then go somewhere else and not and play win next a national year. championship. Well, for he, him, it's about he's a sophomore, long term, right? right? For he, him, it's about long term being the man and playing time. And it, I think he reads it as you've got Booth coming in. You've got well, I mean, he apparently complained in practice that they were picking on him too much. So, whereas Darren Kendrick was welcoming anyway, the, the pressure. I'm going to say. We can move move on from the McMichael situation. I wish him well. He helped us win a national championship last year. We, we appreciate that. Um, again, I think it's there are systemic questions that led to led to him being able to transfer um, that are open that are open, and I think we want to see those just at least get become consistent. Put it that way. Um, Bottom gonna, line, I don't like it, JC Penn. I don't like it. <laughs> um, did he have a second part to that question? No. It was okay. Just a- okay. Um, I'm going to go back to Freemanpedia, and maybe we can use this to angle toward the defense a bit. Um, who will be this year's household name uh, from the Clemson Tigers? You referenced last year we had, obviously, Trevor Lawrence um, coming into the casual Clemson fans you know, sphere. Um, ETN, Justin Ross, was really a household name by the end of last year, coming in um, 
two last season. I'm, I'm not sure anyone had him pegged as having that type of an impact. So um, for you guys, who do you think will be is currently under the radar that will emerge as a household by the end of the year? On either offense or defense? Yeah, I mean, in my mind, I don't really see anybody emerging from the offensive side that'll do that. If you've got one, I'd love to hear it. So I do, because in years past, you can tell from how Brent Vittables talks about the incoming freshman wide receivers and predict how good they are going to be. He had great things to say about T. Higgins, the same thing about Justin Ross coming in this, uh, this year. It's uh, Joseph Nagata. Um, and Frank Ladson Jr. And we're just continue to be blessed with wide receiver talent. It's Are there like, enough snaps for them to? So that's that's un- the question. Enough I think. targets. Well, with Amari Rodgers uh, being down yeah. of, at least for the beginning of the season, and with Darian Kendrick um, moving move, moving, moving over to cornerback, yeah, there's there's plenty. And this 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 offense is going to run a lot of plays this year. They're going to run a lot of players out on the field. They're going to be up big at halftime. These guys are going to be playing in the second and third quarter. You know, third quarter, catch a touchdown passes from Chase Bryce. So, yeah, there's plenty of playing time for them. I just, and I, I think there's a, a line between household name and Clemson fan household name, right? Enough. Like Didn't, last season, ETN and Trevor Lawrence became in, like national household names. Everyone knows who they are. Yeah, that's true. Because nobody knew about Justin Ross until the exactly. championship. Like, exactly. Co workers on the West Coast. Yeah. Telling you guys, wow, that, that dude. Justin good. Ross is crazy yeah, like, exactly. in the championship game. Like, right? yeah, like, Trevor know. Lawrence is really freaking good, man. Well, yeah. That kid's, so- kid's going to be a sophomore. Like, those are the conversations that we're having in San Francisco. In, in that case, I'm going to say Xavier Thomas. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think XT is a, a good one. Uh, I would love to be able to choose one of those two receivers uh-huh. because they're both going to have crazy good years as freshmen, but I don't think it's going to be to the level of uh, you know national household name. I think it'll take till T's gone. To be able to see yep. either of them emerge to that level, which agreed, a okay with me. Um, you know, and last season, XT got some snaps and he played incredibly well when he was playing, but didn't really, um, you know, he he wasn't a, a national name and he was behind all of the Power Rangers, so it was just less exposure, right? I think the guy that's going to probably be a household name. It's kind of the easy answer here, though, is uh, Isaiah Simmons mm-hmm. defensively. Uh, he's already getting touted as like one of the top draft picks for next year. And like he's getting some more um, media coverage. Uh, I think he's going to have an incredibly good year. And assuming he stays healthy and everything goes well, he will be a top first or second round draft pick next year. And people will get to see the freak athlete that he is. Um, so he's so a, that's my, that's my pick. He's very similar to Dorian Daniel, where as, during his first few years as Clemson fans, you knew about him. You saw those brilliant flashes. You knew who he was going to be really good. And his last year, he just came in and put it all together in that same nickelback position. Um, so I agree. Isaiah Simmons, I think it's set for a breakout year, could uh, boost himself into a first-round draft pick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, Simmons was my answer for sure in terms of household name. Um, if you're an NFL fan, you're wanting him to get drafted by your team. Yep. Um, I think it, from a Clemson fan standpoint, the name that sticks out to me is going to be Jamie Skalski. Um, yep. He's going to be, we've, we've seen his, what he can do on the special team side. Um, he, he played in limited, he actually redshirted last year, right? Um, in, he had a medical redshirt a year ago, uh, but did get in, in on a few snaps last season. But um, coaches over the moon about what Skalski can do this year. 
Um, and I actually want to transition that into another question for you guys. This is from Nick in San Francisco right now. Do you who, mean yourself? Yes, I do. Okay. Who, who do you <laughs> see as Mr. Indispensable on this, this team? I mean, taking Trevor Lawrence out of the equation? I no, feel like include I Trevor Lawrence I, I think, if you want. I think Lawrence is less of a Mr. Indispensable because Chase Bryce is such a good backup. So the way that I look at that question, Tully, is who? Where, where's the biggest drop-off from that player to their backup? Exactly. Right? And I think we talked about it a little bit before we started, but I think going back to Simmons, the drop-off from him to, to Mike Jones Jr. or Chad Smith or Justin Maskell, whoever's filling in, not going to be Maskell, but um, whoever's filling in behind Simmons is going to be probably the biggest drop-off. Um, to give you a less you know, easy answer, um, I think that John Simpson's probably still not a super hard answer, but Simpson's going to be the anchor of that line. He's one of the most experienced guys on the team. He's, you know, the one that's going to uh, the press conferences and uh, dressing up as Trevor Lawrence uh, to appease the media. But I think his leadership on that line is going to be huge this year. And if he were to go down, replacing him with Matt Bockhorst or shifting Pollard over and Cervenka to center, however we would handle that, would be a pretty big change in the talent level on the line yeah Yeah. well i think i mean one guy that we could use to answer this question later in the season is jackson carmen we first need him to step up and and take ownership of that left left tackle position but then we need him to maintain it throughout the year um you know on the offensive side of the ball otherwise it's hard you can say travis Etienne. we saw a lot of flashes out of lynn j dixon that was coming against tired legs a lot of time in the third and fourth quarters last year so with the departure of beaster um, that's a tough one on the defensive side of the ball. I look to defensive tackle. You know, if you have a guys like Niles Pickney go down, Xavier Kelly or Tyler Davis, good enough to step in there. And then cornerback too. You know, we talked about Kyler McMichael. He was going to play a big role this year as a sophomore. So he was slotted number two behind AJ Terrell right now. We're, we're a bit thin. You got Andrew Booth coming in among some other uh, freshmen that'll be here um, in the fall, but. Uh, cornerback is certainly another another position in a secondary that really looks to turn some heads this year and prove some doubters wrong. Yeah, I think AJ uh, Terrell is really yeah that's one a, that would that's be, a big one. For he's sure. your he's your lockdown corner. Put him out there on an island um, against the team's best wide receiver, and you got Darian Kendrick on the on the flip side of that. But yeah, AJ Terrell. Um, pick six to open the national championship game, baby. Yeah, I mean he's he's a good candidate for the. Um, the name, the household name one as well. If he has another season like he did last year uh, and throws in a couple of picks, because uh, that's what people learn about. That's why people learn about defensive backs is because they're making interceptions, not because they're lockdown corners. He was that lockdown corner last year, but if he gets a little bit more coverage and, and gets a couple of nice plays where he makes some picks and gets some pick sixes and stuff, I think he could definitely be one of those guys that, that pops as yeah. a – a name on this team and you, you know what's going to be even more important this year um than it was last year given the turnover we had on the defensive line is bt potter and his kickoffs putting those out of the end zone giving opponents the the starting field position at the 25 instead of the 35 or something like that um that that's something to pay attention to as well it didn't have as much of an impact last year because our defense was so great uh but with the uh you know the uncertainty on the line the lack of experience on the line this year would be good to see us put the defense in a good starting position um, and, and set them up for opportunities to succeed. But clearly, I mean, guys, I think a, ta- a 
deep pool of talent on this team. Um, really looking forward to this year. Might use that as a chance to transition us to another question here, speaking just about the whole season and our expectations. Um, I think we're all willing to go ahead and throw down bets on the over on 11 and a half wins. Um, we don't really feel that the Coastal represents too much of a challenge um, in terms of winning the ACC outright. So going back to Ben Freeman, thank you so much. His third question is, what does this team have to do to be considered better than last season? Um, or for this season to be better than last year, is that even possible? We, 16 and 0. Orange and white. Math. <laughs> we, we touched on this actually in one of our spring episodes, and I think it comes, you're not doing better than 15 and 0. I think what it amounts to is you could talk about margin of victory in games, you could talk about kind of the manner in which we put teams away, how many late, you know, how many games go into the fourth quarter where it's still tight. Um, for me, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't necessarily feel like seeing Clemson blow teams out by 24 points every game throughout the year is going to feel better. I just think um, having a full season with Trevor Lawrence, having a full season of you know the whole team clicking on all cylinders will feel different than last year. Um, but that that word better, I mean, it's it's kind of like how do you get better than undefeated and champion? Well, you right? you it's tough. Yeah, points. well you do go you go, you do go and look at your playoff opponents and how much and how badly you beat them. Um I, I think just you I think just looking at the rosters there's no way this team could be better than last year's. I think the offense will be a, a little bit better than it was last year. Um just because Trevor Lawrence coming back um, as a sophomore, Travis Etienne, still a good offensive line, all those talented wide receivers. The thing on the defensive side of the ball, I still think there could be a really good defense. At the same time, probably not nearly as good as last year's defense. The secondary uh, should be better. Um, the linebackers, a lot of talented yet unproven guys, so we'll see how they come along. And then the defensive line, we talk about it, you're completely turning that over. Um, you've lost even your depth there in Albert Huggins, being not a starter last year, but a, a you know, guy who contributed a lot, gone. So um, you have a lot of new guys on that on that defensive line that are getting broken in this year. So I, I think you probably see as a scoring defense, maybe we're giving up average of 18 points a game as opposed to like 11 uh, as we were last year. So I think for that reason alone, we're not going to be better. Um, I think last year we were such a solid team because we were a dominant offense and a dominant defense. I think this year we will be perhaps the most dynamic and dominant offense in college football. I think we will be a really solid defense, but top 15, top 20 range, not top five. I think to answer that, you've got to think about the arguments that people made last season for other programs and other seasons as the best ever, right? Who are the, who are, who's the competition here? Uh, the Nebraska team that went 12-0 uh, in the 90s, is definitely one that comes up a lot. Their margin of victory is what gets pointed to. The Miami teams that that won championships get pointed to a lot because the talent that went to the NFL uh, and produced at the NFL level was was so extremely good. Um, I think those are really the only two areas uh, that that we could improve potentially. Uh, the only the third one might be being the best ever. For this season, it would be offensively, right? Being the best offensive college football team ever by whatever standard. I think what it would take in building on that, wire-to-wire number one, margin of victory, very healthy, first-ever Heisman for Clemson. Oh, yeah. And let's silence all the doubters 
let's face Georgia in the semi and Alabama in the final. That and would be fun. I would beat love them by three that, touchdowns yeah. each. You do so that, that. That sounds like a pretty fun season. So let's let's remember too that the best ever thing last year was kind of tongue in cheek as a response to everybody calling Alabama the best team at the beginning of the season, right? And throughout, right? This yeah. is not something that Clemson anointed itself with, or that the media jumped on and anointed. Well, it is kind of Clemson anointed itself with. You know, Dabo made the the connection. The media certainly didn't. So. You know, are we talking best ever football team, period? Probably not. I don't think we're talking in that. Um, I don't think we're talking about best college football team ever. We're talking about best Clemson team. Well, or I think, we I think the point is the same. Like last season's team is in the conversation for best college football team ever. It is. The other two that I mentioned are two that get mentioned a lot. There's a couple others that, that get thrown into that conversation. Yeah. So it's like, what would it take for this year's team to be in that conversation? And I right. think it, it does require. Well, the prerequisites special, is, yeah. is undefeated. 15 or no national championship. Well, and that's where, so the cumulative effect can have this team stand shoulder to shoulder with those yep. by saying, this will be the 30 and 0 team. Like that is how this whole team would be remembered. All the pressure proving like I, I, last year's team, I think was, you know, it was, it was a work in progress. It built toward 15 and zero. this year's team would be carrying that torch forward. And I think it's, it's different from an expectation standpoint, but if they can do it, that's very impressive. Well, I'll say right now, I don't think there's any way that this year's team, I think it's disrespecting last year's team <laughs> to say that this year's team could be, Better than them. I think what we just saw last year was phenomenal. It was, you know, just and appreciate it for what it was. I think Trevor Lawrence and the returning defense in the 2020 team will be better than the 2019 team. That's a very real possibility. That's saying the 2019 team is still, um, I think, the 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 leader in the clubhouse for winning the national championship. Yeah, I think I think the conversation is less a comparison to last year and more how does this team get into that conversation uh like you said yeah. tully yeah so it's there needs to be some crazy circumstances that help this team get there i don't think that the talent is as good as last season's clemson team but offensively it's probably better talent wise uh there's potential that this is one of the greatest offensive seasons in college football history uh given the teams that we're playing and the talent level that we've got Defensively, if we are anywhere near the top of college football uh, as far as defense, these are all going to be blowouts. That's going to help with the margin of victory conversation. Um, and then pro-wise for that conversation, it obviously is going to take years before that's really part of the conversation, which is why those Nebraska and Miami teams have the advantage in that piece of the conversation because we've seen those players' full careers play out. Uh, but guys like Trevor Lawrence, who's – odds-on favorite to be the number one pick overall when he goes pro. Uh, Travis Etienne, who will probably be a top one or two round pick. Um, guys like Isaiah Simmons that we talked about that are going to be high draft picks. The yeah. talent is there, right? So I think I think we need a 15-0 season with a high margin of victory. The Heisman would definitely help boost that conversation. The national championship obviously is a, a prerequisite for being in the conversation of best team ever. Um but that's those are the things that I think we need to to be in that conversation. So the one thing that I th I think that maybe could put this team there. Obviously, you've got all the good things on the offense, and I'm talking about holistically as a team being the best team ever, not individual position groups necessarily. But if the defensive line just totally shocks us this year, 
and there is not much drop-off from last year. And these young guys and, and Pinckney and Williams show out now finally getting a chance to start. Guys like Xavier Kelly step up and, and as, a, as an experienced backup role player. Tyler Davis is every bit as good as the coaches think he is. And then guys in the end like Xavier Thomas, Justin Foster, KJ Henry really just show out this year. If that happens, you look to our linebacker group, which is really strong, our secondary, which we talked about, experienced and super talented, and then everything we've got going on in the offense, then maybe, then maybe it's possible. Um, is it likely? <sighs> Lost too much across that defensive line, man. Yeah. Like that, that but, we'll, we'll never guess, see a line like that I, again. I love the question. It's such a crazy spot to be in as a Clemson fan to think that we're having this discussion of like, how do we one up our 15 and no showing last how year? How do we lose? Um, like it's, it's hard to construct losses. Well, yeah. no, no, no. I, that's actually a great, we should talk about that. Cause I, I want to pivot this into what should our expectations be for the year and what are they actually? Let's take a side trying to one up what happened last year. Like, is this, there's kind of two questions I ask every year. Like, is this the best team in the country and what would it take to win a championship? And conversely to that, what type of a team or what type of a scheme could slow this team down? And I think it's, you go back to the fundamentals of what win college football right now, a very dynamic quarterback, a great defensive line that can generate a pass rush uh, without, you know, evade double teams. Um, and what I think Clemson's weak, weak link is right now is defending the run. And you saw that did not come back to bite us against Alabama. Certainly hurt. They moved the ball at will. You know, between the fives, like up until the five yard line, um, and they could not run the ball to save their life. But um, that, and again, Dex, Dexter Lawrence was not in that game. But um, anyway, I think that a, a good running team with a capable quarterback can do it. And as I look across the college football landscape, there's like two to three teams that could qualify for that. And I'm not even sure that Alabama still does either from a running game standpoint. They had a couple guys go into the league. So um, anyway, I think. You know, I do point to Georgia, and I do point potentially to Ohio State and what they have coming back in their running game. And depending what Justin Fields can give you, he was talked about in the same breath as Trevor Lawrence when they were both coming into college football. So, um, but anyway, in terms of expectations for this team, for me, it's fourteen and one with a slip up along the way, or fifteen and zero. I'm right there, and I expect a national championship. So we, as we usually do, injuries aside, right? Where of course. If injuries sure, happen, right. they happen. Sure. That, that changes things. I just don't think having Trevor Lawrence as the quarterback as this team, I don't think we can lose a regular season game. I, just looking at the schedule, I don't think there's a scenario where that happens. And I'll throw the ACC championship game in there as well. Sure. So 13-0 is a given in your mind. 13-0 yeah. is given in my mind. So then you get into the playoff. Do you get a Georgia in the first round, which we know is a, is a super talented team, a solid team. They got some experience there, um, and then of course Alabama. So you always have so the oppor- you, you always yeah. have the opportunity to lose once you. I mean, you're you're playing solid teams, like legitimately like really good football teams. Once you get into the playoff, last year Clemson had the recipe. Um, they were the best team ever on both sides of the ball, and. We just we're head and shoulders above everybody else. It's not going to be that way every single year. Um, so, but to even have two SEC teams get in, you need to think three other conferences are going to have to not have a worthy team. And I think between the Big Ten, Big Twelve, and Pac twelve, like there will be worthy champions from at least two of those leagues plus Clemson. Of course, the SEC can get two teams in, but I don't know. That's not a given to me that we'll see two of them in. 
Well, yeah. that, that's true. So we'll see what else happens. Yeah. I, I think as far as uh, expectations, like obviously uh, we w- I think we all consider it to be a failure if we don't reach the college football playoff, right? Abject yes. failure. That, that yes. means there's at least one, maybe even two losses um, somewhere in there. Probably I think it would be hugely disappointing from an expectation uh, point of view if we don't make the, the championship, championship game. game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then anything after that, like if you get into a championship game and you lose, like then the other team was better. Like don't pull an Alabama. Mm. Just, yeah. just you have to, to own up to it and just respect the guys for playing 15 games and being there at, at the very end. So um, I, I don't... It would have been disappointing uh, to lose our uh, Deshaun Watson's national championship game, knowing that that was going to be his last year. We had lost it the year before that. Now that we've got two under our belt, if we're getting there and taking occasion, we're winning some and losing some, then I'm not going to. Well, I want to circle back I mean, to that. you got to be grateful, right? I want to circle back to got. that point with another question we had. But Sam, any thoughts yeah, on expectations? Um, I think the regular season and ACC championship game, should we should be 13-0. and 0. If we're twelve and one after that ACC championship game, assuming we win it, we should still make the playoff. But that would be—that means we messed up really bad somewhere, or we've had some major injuries. Assuming we're healthy, there's no team that we play in those first thirteen games that is nearly as talented as we are. We should expect to win every game fairly comfortably. Uh, going into the playoff, it's kind of like the NCAA tournament. If you make it to the dance. Anything can happen. Um, so I, I always hesitate to say I expect us to win the championship or I expect us to make the, the uh, championship game. But given the state of college football and where our program stands in, in college football, I think that kind of has to be the expectation. We have to say that there are not three teams in the country that can beat us consistently right more than half the time we play them and with the level of preparation and our coaching staff i i would expect us to at least make the championship game would it be a disappointment if we didn't yeah uh but it those things happen you know there are fantastic programs in this country that you know on any given saturday they could come out and kick your butt i don't think that's going to happen this year i like i it's hard to play devil's advocate and say, you know, what's the thing that holds us back this year? Maybe our defensive line sucks and these guys don't, even, even they don't show up. They're not going to suck. No, I they're know. But not, like, yeah. maybe they, maybe they're like maybe a middle of the road. Maybe they're as good as Alabama's was last year. Right. Maybe they're a middle of the road ACC defensive line, which that would be a really low bar for them. Yeah. Right. But if they are that, maybe the secondary gets pressed a little bit. They get tired because there's not a ton of depth back there and we give up more points than we expected. Even if that happens, our offense, there's no way that our offense is bad. It's, it's not possible. No, uh, there's like Hall of Fame <laughs> NFLers all over our right? roster. Like the offense is just ridiculous. So even if we're giving up 40 points a game, we're going to win almost and, every game. And I think that's the key. I, I think the key really is uh, opposing offenses, keeping our offense off the field. And I think that's going to mean controlling the, uh, the ball, running the ball, being able to methodically move the ball down the field against our defense. That's why uh, I jumped to the opponent punching in the end zone. Yeah. Like I, first of all, evidence on the field, what we saw against Alabama this past season and knowing some of the roster construction things and knowing what that can mean to the, the flow of the game and time of possession and those things. Like the best defense against Trevor Lawrence is keeping him on the bench. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the only way to really stop the offense that we have this year right. is have them not on the field. And, you know, I have not studied too much the S&P Plus prognostications. Um, based on a lot of the returning production, I know Bill C. has Clemson at third behind Georgia and Alabama, um, just from a returning talent standpoint. Uh, but, again, that's probably at minimum Clemson is the third best team in the country. Let, let, let's face it. College football playoffs should be a given. Right. So really the disappointing thing, this is our year for the Heisman. If we do not win a Heisman, it's going to be a disappointing season. National championship or not, I don't right. care. We, right. need, we need a Heisman. <laughs> and we got two guys who can do it. I mean, I've said that in the past, the I think it's, it's oh. a bogus award. When Mark Ingram won it over in Dominican Sioux, that was when I was like done hey, with the hey, trophy. Hey. It's only a bogus and award when... until a Clemson player <laughs> wins it. Yeah. That's right. I mean, Up I, to just, this point. just from taking that one thing South Carolina has away from us, or over us, like, I'm all about it. Like, let's go for it. Yeah, but it's like, you know, they beat you five years in a row, but then you go win two national championships. Do you really care about the five years in a row anymore? No, I know, but they that's have the a Heisman winner. That's the that's better we, in their program than ours, is what, I mean. what he's saying. They, they yeah, have a Heisman, the only thing we do good. not. Take that, neutralize that, and bury Columbia. I'm already, I'm um, already there. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up the season look ahead with a little bit more of a perspective question. This comes from Chris in Atlanta. Um, does Clemson's season result in 16, 17, and 18 impact how you personally view the 2015 season and that loss to Alabama? I, th- I think you kind of just touched on that, Ben. So do the results of those years... Does the fact that we've won so many times and been to so many national championship games change your perspective on the seasons that we struggled or specifically 2015 what? when we were so close but then Alabama... Like, I, nothing's going to take away that pain. I, but I very specifically remember going into that season not thinking we were going to go to the national championship game. And then as that year went along, you started having these big wins. That was the Notre Dame win. Notre Dame, uh-huh. year, Florida State year, got over the hump. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and then you're like, oh, crap, we're in the playoffs. Oh, crap, we just beat Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Yeah. We're going to Phoenix. Yeah. And then we like... We're playing with Alabama, and we could have won that game. And the end of the game, we've mentioned this several times before, we walked out of that game in that stadium in, in, in Phoenix, and we weren't sad or mad. We were like, damn, we could have won a national. We're there. We yeah. could have won a national championship. We got Deshaun Washington coming back next year. Mike Williams will be back on the team next year. It, yeah, the optimism ran high. I agree with you. But there at was, the time, I'm going to take there, you back. Yeah, there was. The stakes were very high. You did not know. The next year, like anything can happen. Like a little injury happens, and there go there goes your shot. Like our window with Deshaun Watson was twenty sixteen. After that, point. yeah. And then you don't know after that. Like you could be like Oregon. Yeah. You 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 have an uprising. You have a very consistent and steady steady build, and then it all washes away. Yeah. The program falls I, back I, down. I think had and we lost in twenty sixteen as a fan base, it would have been it would have been, been devastating. Yeah. So devastating. I guess my point is having won it in sixteen neutralize some of the I'll just call it like the tension and the stakes of losing it in 2015 so like yes like it, it helped I think winning in 2018 made it feel like 2016 was not a fluke like we had absolute staying power that we had yeah. achieved the elite tier in college football and I don't know that 18 affects the 15 feelings at all like, it really I, yeah. doesn't for me. It no. doesn't for me either. I think 16 definitely changed how I viewed 15. Um, I think 18 takes the polish off of 16 just a little bit. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because because it was so dominant, right? 
right. and or the, 16 well, and we, maybe and we did 18 it again it wasn't less. like you said it wasn't yeah. just our one chance and we missed right. it right we're like oh no yeah so like, i think i think 16 we, think we can was, win it for the next five years yeah i think it's a possibility right um vegas would put odds on that right like it's not like an absurd thing where they'd put like three million to one odds there'd be a real bet to say clemson will win five championships in a row so I think 16 was the thing that that really changed how I felt about 15. 15 was so I I you know I remember sitting on that van bus after after the the loss when we all reconvened at uh, at our, our vehicle. Tailgate. Yeah, uh, it's an RV. It was it was an RV recreational vehicle. It was it was somber. People were really upset. But Sam, I think what was in all of our heads then is. Did we just miss our chance? Yeah, and, and I think I think sixteen. Crap, I agree. It puts so much more pressure on sixteen, and like I I personally believe going back to that, like some of that pressure might have led to some of the slow starts in the early months of that totally. season or the totally. early games. So I think sixteen it kind of it, it gave us the the confidence to say, holy crap, we just did this. We are national champions. We can compete at this level. It's legit. Twenty fifteen wasn't a fluke for us getting there. Trevor, you know, we didn't have Trevor Lawrence coming. Yet we didn't know that yet, but we had Deshaun, and you know, in sixteen he was amazing. Uh, but even at the beginning of the year, that slow start, he was throwing some interceptions. Like yeah, we were like scared there it a was, little bit. It we was unclear worried. what would yeah. happen, right? We didn't yeah. know. This season, we don't know, but we know. Now, we know the season's going to be strong. We know we're going to be in competition for the national championship. That was not the case in 2015 or 2016, and obviously not 2017. We didn't even think we were going to make the playoff in 17, and then we did. Um, so, you know, to really answer the question for Chris, I don't think 17 and 18 affected how I thought about 15, but 16 definitely did. So I mentioned that, that maybe the 18 win took a little bit of the shine off of the 16 win just because we're like again like i mentioned it wasn't do or die that was our only chance what it doesn't take the shine off of is the last drive of that 16 game is one of the best drives if not the best drive in clemson football history and no beat down of alabama is going to change that go out of out of all of the drives in in the the two national championship wins and the the 15 one that Go back and watch that one over and over well, again you have put a I, smile on your face every time i don't even have to try it comes up on my twitter feed I'm, I'm not day. joking. Every two weeks, <laughs> like I, it's it's a gif of of the Renfro catch or the whole drive posted from YouTube. Yeah, I don't have I don't even have to try to rewatch it. But no, it's it's, it's amazing great. every time though. I think it's it's uh, the moment that made a, a thousands of grown men cry uh, watching football. Right, like all the Clemson fans that us included and that's we the, burst and into that, tears at the end of that drive. that's where like it'll be very difficult to ever achieve that high that moment will never happen again. it's basically like you know chasing that drug high yeah. if you're at yeah if you're a drug i mean it's a oh, 35 year thing. <laughs> 35 <laughs> years later <laughs> after the first championship really? right like most of the people yeah. our age don't remember the first one we know it's a thing it's a historical thing we've seen some video and we've seen the stats but we we didn't live that through it. That one put Clemson on the map. I was negative two and a half months old. I was years from being born. Um, and well, I tell you, that's the one thing that still sets definitely sets Deshaun Watson apart from Trevor Lawrence. Is we haven't seen Trevor Lawrence have to come back in a football game and win one. Yeah, what Deshaun Watson did in that drive, and in addition to all the other cast members on offense, was just absolutely dominant, incredible. And we knew as soon as Alabama gave us the ball, 
too much time. Uh, the yeah. First thing I said, it was, too much time. It was the maybe best that's, Maybe yeah. that's something bringing it all back to some of the questions we got earlier. Like, do we see Trevor put in conflict and the team have to come from behind? And like, you do see that championship drive and edge um, come out of this team like that. I'm looking for that this year. Like, yeah. Those, and those I think the little things we'll that's, look for. that's where the ACC being weaker is kind of a bummer because yeah. the storyline is not going to be as interesting right. this year. Right. Iron that 2016, iron. Yeah. 2016 season was like a movie. It was, you know, that comeback, you couldn't have scripted it any better. Um, and you kind of needed 2015. I mean, 2015 I that, built like, up that storyline. Absolutely. Like, did we need to lose the Bama in 15 to come back and beat them the next year? Not necessarily. Like I would have gladly have been playing for a repeat. Yeah, I think, but it, it strongly built up that evil empire in Alabama and put the country on Clemson's side. You know, it, yeah. it felt very different from last year where it was like, Oh yeah, everybody thinks Alabama's going to beat Clemson. Right. And then we crushed them. So when does it's just a very different feel. This question's from me sitting right here in this chair. Ben of San Francisco. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, when does Clemson become the evil empire? What's it going to take? Like Alabama has to go down. Like they, they can't still be a yeah. competitor, I don't think. Because yeah, we almost have to stand alone. Or who's the next darling? Like we basically yeah. have to face yeah. Clemson was the darling in 2015. Like make no mistake. Mm-hmm. Like we beat Notre Dame. Everyone loved that. People were pretty fed up with Alabama. We were the... David going in against Goliath, and we nearly did it. Um, Clemson was the darling that year. Even the next year, and actually throughout, we've kind of been that, the you know, yin to their yang or what have you. I think, yeah, either Bama has to fall down and we need to be like the lone pinnacle at the top of the sport, or, you know, in a playoff, let's say there's an uprising team and everyone loves what Oregon is showing, um, or I don't think Michigan will ever be the darling, but... You know, somebody along those lines yeah. of just a well Texas makes a comeback yeah, or something, Yeah, exactly. Right? An emergent team with a really dynamic player that people love. Well, like, yeah. It if, would take that. If Clemson's winning it every year, well, okay. If we're, as long as we're facing a Nick Saban-led Alabama team, I think the general college football world is always going to pull for us. That's just the, yeah. that's what we seem to get. Clemson and Dabo is more likable. Um, I know Dabo's antics uh, well, that was rubs, rubs yeah. some people the wrong way, but you know, screw them. What are, you know? How's their team doing? <laughs> <laughs> I think if if there were some of an off the field or like even a if Dabo wore out his welcome to some extent nationally or externally, like continuing with the don't pay the players stuff, like that yeah. could be that could be part of the moment you, that builds you, you swings the momentum. The also, other way. look at the way. Remember, he took this job in his late thirties, very young. And yeah, he had some flubs, um, some embarrassing moments maybe throughout the years. But he's he's just he's become more sophisticated and mature as a coach every single year in and year out. And he's savvy, man. He knows how to play the game. He knows how to say all the right things. He knows how to get the team motivated when you're the best team in the country. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't. I think you're right. I don't think we become an evil empire unless something nefarious happens. It comes out that done something yeah incredibly program wrong run the right people, way but i think yeah. it is if we're playing a, another up-and-comer that people are always going to che- uh, cheer for the underdog exactly and it's we're still sports. the underdog when compared to alabama yeah, and all the talk Apparently. about questioning the legitimacy of clemson's titles like 
in a way, I welcome it because that means it'll actually continue to give our fans an edge and certainly the players. Yeah, too. yeah. So, keep keep saying that yeah. we weren't the better team. That's right. fine with Because that's the stuff that'll make what it. What was the final score? Yeah, exactly. Well, how much yeah. did you lose by? What, I mean, I think, what was that score? Were you 44, that distracted? What? Were you that tired from your month off? Right. Um, well, guys, that's our mailbag portion. Cry me um, a crimson tide. Appreciate all the questions coming in. It didn't work. Do you guys want to touch a little bit on the all-in cookout and your recruiting nuggets? I mean, I think the the prevailing thought from us is, wow. Well, I just checked. I don't think anybody's committed yet. But, I mean, you just take a look at the guys that we have committed so far. This is probably going to be the best class in Clemson history. It might already be that way. We've got five five stars according to Rivals. Um, is a, opposed to one three star, eleven four stars, oh, eleven four stars. Yeah, Tully, um, I think the word we landed on before we started was, damn, yeah. damn, eighteen commitments. You get Birch and flow and this defense just beyond you best. Can put them ever. on the field this year. Yeah. Um, which again, we're talking about the twenty nineteen season and those expectations. You start to introduce this talent into the twenty twenty football season a lot of these guys will see the playing field that first year and you've got another year of justin ross another year of trevor lawrence another year of some of our defensive studs i don't think we've seen such a balanced class um in as much as or it's talking about how much talented defensive guys be coming in and same thing on the offense i mean you got dj you and galele have his whole line yeah have the, yeah. Have the offensive line <laughs> Um, the offensive line prospects we have coming in, in addition to all the guys on defense. Um, this is just a killer class where I think we're ranked, what, fourth right now in rivals, and that's bound to, to jump us back up after hopefully we get some commitments this weekend. Um, but we could have the top four guys on rivals signed with Clemson. Yeah, I mean, five of the top ten. It's pretty crazy. If you're just looking at the five, the five star guys, we've got, uh, Two guys on the defensive line, a quarterback, a running back, and a defensive back. That's a pretty good starting point for a team. Uh, if you switch down to the four stars, we've got a thousand offensive linemen. Uh, Five like everyone. four star. Yeah, OLs. it's yeah. ridiculous. Um, we've got another defensive back. We've got a linebacker or two. We've got more defensive linemen. We've got another running back. So we're just we're filling all the gaps where we're even slightly weak at the moment, where we either don't have depth or we don't have you know, premier talent necessarily for this season. Um, those are all going to be filled next year. And obviously those guys are going to be freshmen, so they may not all and contribute. We'll bring, but And we'll bring Quacking Tiger back on the show to kind of get an update post All-In Cookout here. A point he made either in one of his posts or on Twitter, I forget which, was that, number one, some of these transfers are opening up slots to be able yeah. to take in this class. And you've got coaches, kids on the staff who could relinquish scholarships continue to oversign we got a lot of kickers number got a ton of kickers. number of specialists like oh, that, that freaking kickers um, like, may not need scholarships necessarily so well, if they can't punt they shouldn't have. um no but <laughs> so anyway the cupboards are being restocked this this will be the number one class this year or number one team in the class the most impressive thing too is you look across the board you got guys not only from florida south carolina and georgia but guys from california maryland Texas, DC. Tennessee, D.C., Kentucky. I mean, we are spreading that that web, man, and it's blanketing the continental United States. Great. 
Alaska, we're coming for you. That's right. Probably not. Um, well, that is all the time they we have, have for like t- Alaska has like I think one prospect this year, or maybe that was basketball. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it's a recruiting hotbed. Do they play no. football up there? Or is it just like hockey? There's probably not enough maybe teams indoor to football? do a lot Curling, of football. Indoor it's football. freezing all Ice the time. Ice fishing. Uh, well, guys, that is a show. We appreciate everyone sticking with us. This was a long one, but I think worth it. And uh, appreciate that. Please spread the word about the podcast. We are available on all major podcasting platforms. All of the apps. Um, need to check for on Spotify yet. I know some people consume them that way. Uh, also wanted to give our, ourselves a shout out. Please follow us on social media. We are quite active on both Facebook and Twitter. Um, feel free to submit more mailbag questions. We will hit these as we get them in our subsequent shows. We're going to be coming back to you throughout the following weeks here um, with more podcasts. Cody, I assure you, is still with us. We'll get him on, on the airwaves here soon likely to do a number of interviews as well. We've got a couple of STS guys looking to come on um, over at Shaking the Southlands. So really looking forward to the run-up to the season. Fall camp is about to get underway. This is our fifth season. This is our fifth season. Yep. Um, We've lost four games in four years. Right. As podcasters. Yeah. You're welcome, Clemson Nation. Pretty pretty fun run we've been on as well. So uh, we appreciate all the love and the listens. And uh, let us hear from you. Please, if you've got questions, you, you want to throw a theory out there for us, we're happy to debate that on a future show. Um, Going to wrap there. Thank you. And as always, go Tigers. <laughs>